0: okay um we are we we've been going through the book of ephesians um, and we are to ephesians one uh verse ten and that's that's as far as we'll get today. I had a hard time even trying to do a whole verse. I almost broke it down into two weeks, but um, but uh Anyway, we spent, we spent last week looking at the reality of the mystery of God revealed in Christ. Again, Once again, if you're new here, you can always pick up uh, the, the CDs if you missed a week or two or six or uh, a year. Uh, you can pick up the CDs in the bookstore and just grab them. Um, anyway, we looked last week at, the, at Revelation, or Revelation. We did not look at Revelation at all last week. But we looked at Ephesians 1.9, the mystery of God revealed in Christ. Uh, and and this week I want to look at at uh, at verse ten, uh, which has to do with the administration of the fullness of time in which God gathers all things together in Christ. And uh, and I just want to remind you as we're as we're going through this that this is you know for Paul he, he wasn't breaking this down into weekly little segments. Uh, it's it's you know I have to do that obviously because of time, but this is one letter. This it just flows so. So, um, you know, this isn't like an outline of theological topics for Paul. He's writing a letter to people. And, and so what he says, what we're going to look at today about the fullness of time and the gathering together into Christ flows right out of what we've already been talking about, about the predestined person and place of our salvation in Christ God's eternal plan to have a people in His Son, sharing the life of His Son, bearing the image of His Son. All that we've looked at in the first few chapters, accepted in the Son, the Son of His love, accepted in the Beloved. So, He's, on, he's, he's continuing along the same lines there. So, He's not... Uh, I just say that so that you, you don't... Again, I, I've talked about this a bunch of times, but I, I I just don't want us to say, okay, now I understand that concept and now let's move on to this concept. No, this is a reality that Paul is seeing uh, by the Spirit of, of salvation, and he's laying it out in a letter. He's laying it out uh, in a continuous thought in, in, in his mind. Uh, and you know what? Before I even get into this verse, I just want to clarify something I said last week. Last week I said that our our purpose isn't to come to an intellectual or theological understanding of the of the book of Ephesians. It is rather to see what Paul, by the Spirit's understanding working in him, was seeing the reality worked in his heart uh, rather than just to come to what we think this word or this phrase or whatever means. But in saying that, I I in no way mean to to, uh, take away from the fact that I believe the entire letter, I'm saying this because of a misunderstanding I heard from somebody, the entire letter, every word in it represents the, the, the infallible preserved record of salvation as written by Paul, but inspired by the Spirit of God. In other words, all I'm really saying is that we need to see far more than the words on the page here. We have to see through words unto Him whom Paul was beholding in spirit and truth if we're really going to understand this letter. So, if that sounds like a contradiction, then maybe you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. The Bible is in its entirety God's preserved testimony and then witness of His salvation. That's what the Bible is. I'm quite aware of... uh, slight uh, textual variations and, uh, you know, due to copyist error and so-called textual criticism, form criticism, redaction criticism and all that nonsense that I spent four years of my life listening to from, uh you know, PhDs whose brains, in my opinion, were seeing words on a page rather than life. Um, I didn't mean to say that out loud, but... Um, in, anyway, since I'm speaking so frankly, uh, let me just say this. Um, my personal definition of insanity is this. It's, it's human beings believing that with our own brain we can know, teach, and express God. That, that's, my, that's my personal definition of insanity. That's craziness. And you put a bunch of people like that uh, in one building and you have... The religion department of most uh, institutes of higher learning. It, it's kind of like, it reminded me of this thing I was thinking, it's kind of like a, the religious version of the WWF, you know, the World Wrestling Federation. A bunch of carnal minds challenging and body slamming each other, trying to walk away with his Adamic belt, you know. I win, I have the most publications, I, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, I just had this flashback from college suddenly. Uh, uh, but anyway, I, I'm saying, here's what I'm saying, I'm saying that we need to see Paul... I'm, I'm not just saying, say it this way, I'm not just saying we need to try to see Paul's heart behind the letter and not take the words very seriously. To the contrary, I'm saying that we need to see each word as an attempt to describe something that is greater than words. We need to see spirit and truth, or we've only seen words. We need to see through... I, I give that analogy sometimes of a window. We need to see through the window... And not just stare at the window or we've seen nothing at all. If I hung a window on the wall of my living room and stared at it, I would, it would serve absolutely no, no, no uh, purpose at all. I could memorize every little crack and nook and cranny of the window and, yet, and see nothing of the purpose of the window until I saw through the window and saw what the window was there for to begin with. The Bible is such a window. It is that through which we see Him. Him where? Him off in heaven when I die one day? No, Him in you as your very life where you have been raised up and seated. So, we are... And that's what we talked about last week from Colossians 3 and I won't get back into that. God dwells somewhere. He dwells in a temple. You are that temple. God established a kingdom. Jesus told us where that kingdom is. It is within you. One of these days, we're going to have to stop trying to build Him a kingdom, build Him a temple and realize that that's in fact what He built in His death, and resurrection And you are that very temple, kingdom, city, and body and bride. But anyway, so Paul's writing a letter here to those who have, to some extent, seen by the spirits unveiling the reality of their salvation. It's 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 churches generally that he has spent anywhere from six months to two years with, and he's trying to give them something that the spirit of God can use. To show them more reality. Why? So that they can all become seminary teachers. No. Uh, so that the reality of the truth of life that is in them be held, revealed in them, as that life can have its image born in their very soul. They become the expression of it. They be, they bear the very nature of it. So he's trying to bring them to as as Galatians three and uh, I'm sorry Romans ten says the hearing of faith. The hearing of faith. Uh, which is not the hearing of the brain, but uh, anyway, I, I'll stop there. But um, picking up where we where we left off, uh, you know, I'll just start reading in verse nine here. I have I have this written down. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse ten. Here's our verse for today. That in the dispensation or the administration of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. So last week we dealt with the mystery uh, of his will made known according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. And, and uh, we spent most of our time just talking about what is that mystery, how was it hidden, where was it veiled, how was it, it revealed, and then how that revealing works in us. Uh, I didn't actually get in last week to that last little phrase, which he purposed in himself. I, I suspect, I suppose that that is a, a statement that that uh, is a similar statement to what Paul says in Ephesians three nine, where he says, uh, "And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the age, the ages God has hit, uh, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus." I think that. The phrase purposed in Himself is, is probably similar to hidden in God and refers to the reality that God had in His heart, in Himself, before anything was ever created. The fullness of this predestined plan, this predestined salvation, this predestined purpose, it was in His heart before He said, let there be light. It was in His heart before He said, let there be chickens. It was in His heart, whatever, and, and uh, before He ever made man out of the dust of the earth. Uh, it's possible, however, and I was thinking about this this week, that, that this phrase, purposed in Himself, might also be a reference to the fact that, that what was predestined, what was foreknown, was a people who come to dwell in Himself. A people living, in other words, a people living in Christ. You have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. I, you know, both of these are, are true realities, so I, I, it's not like we have to argue about it. Uh, the only question is what was exactly what was Paul referring to here. I suspect the former, but I love the latter. I love the the reality that, I I love the reality that he's already talked about uh, in Ephesians 1 verse 4, somewhere around there, where he says, God's predestined plan and purpose was to have a people in his son, accepted in his son, redeemed in his son, standing before him in love. There's his eternal purpose. So it could be referring to that same thing. Uh, either way, you know, whatever you want to believe about that, I, I, I still think that that either is a representation of truth. But anyway, on to the, uh, the next verse. That in the dispens- dispensation or, or administration, uh, the, the King James New King James translates that word dispensation, the uh, New American Standard and most other uh, modern uh, Bibles translate that word administration. Of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Uh, some say sum up in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. It um, it amazed me again this week, and uh, I don't know why it, it should, but it, I was looking through uh, some commentaries, and and well, here's what amazed me: it amazed me that Paul has already said six times in the first. Ten verses of this letter, the reality that we are in Christ. Eight times, really, if you understand heaven and love to be the, the uh, realm and the relationship of being in Christ. But it, either way, at least six times Paul has now told us in the first ten verses that we are in Christ. We are already in this administration of the fullness of time where God has gathered all things into His Son, and yet, you know, and I, I, would, I would hope that to, to, to most of you in this room, that would seem impossible to miss. Partly because the New Testament makes mention of that over 400 times. Uh, partly because that was what the Old Covenant was constantly proclaiming, and the New Covenant became the reality of. Partly because of what God is revealing in your very soul of that reality. Nevertheless, there's a lot of scholarship—not all—not all, not all scholarship—but there's a lot of scholarship that reads this verse and says, "Oh, that hasn't happened yet." that's uh, that's some future event that we haven't seen. And and as always when you don't see it in Christ, you continue to look for it in the old creation, the natural man, the old the old. And uh, and so not seeing it where it is not nor will it ever be, you push it off into the into the future as an event rather than come to see what is now in Christ. So Oh, anyway, uh, and it's that it's that sort of thing that that's why I said what I said before about um, the religion departments of of universities and such. Only only the natural mind trying to find some natural experience for a natural body in a natural time could miss what God has done in the fullness of times. And, and, and incidentally, that fullness of time just doesn't mean He picked the right moment it it's bigger than that it doesn't just mean that it was the it was uh the nick of time or something like that it means that it was the fullness that is the completion the consummation of time and we'll get into that in a little bit but it is where time has actually ceased to have relevance uh because we have come to the now that that is in Christ but uh so just you know, I'm not, I'm not picking on any individual or any group or anything. If anything, I'm picking on myself. When I say things like that, I'm attack. You know, if I'm attacking anything, I'm attacking the, the natural mind. And just simply making note that the mind of the flesh, as it says in Romans 8, 6, is death. And what comes out of the mind of the flesh is death. It is dead. Death theology. Death understanding. Death learning. It's Death, dead religion. It, it's, okay, I'm, I'm done talking about that. But I, I just. Uh, <laughs> I see it in myself. I see it. We all see it in ourselves together. I'm not, I, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm just saying, look, guys, we have to realize that the mind of Christ isn't God teaching your mind things, it's His mind working in you. And until that mind works in you, truth, that is His Word, that is His Son everything we believe in place of it stands in the way of truly knowing him if i could say that stronger if i knew a way to say that stronger i would i just i just don't know a way to say it stronger back to our verse there was a time of promise and then there was the end of that time where everything became everything promised was yes and amen in Christ, there was a time of prophecy, and then there was the time when all prophecy was sealed up and fulfilled in Him. Speaks of that in Daniel. Speaks Jesus Himself says that I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets; I came to fulfill. Fulfill. There was a time of shadow. There was a time where shadow turned into substance. Colossians two, Galatians four. Talks about coming from shadow to substance in Christ. Second Corinthians three. Shadow to substance in Christ. We could go on and on. Let's go on. You know, there was the expectation of glory. And then there was the glory who came, Christ in you. There was the there was the former house, and there was the latter house, which house we are. And the glory of the latter house. You've read the prophecy, Habakkuk. The glory of the latter house far exceeds the glory of the former house. In fact, compared to the glory of the former house, I mean, compared to the gl- glory of the latter house, the former house has no glory. No glory at all. Passing, temporal, glory. Ending, always ending. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is all about that. There was a time which the law, uh, that, there was a time period of, of, of law which spoke of spirit, and then there was the The time, the fullness of time when it became the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. It was the time of the old and then in him all things were made new. What am I getting at? I'm saying that the fullness of time is what Christ is and what Christ brought. It is the administration in him. It's shown in the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's shown in so many types and shadows of the old covenant. Abraham, at the fullness of time you will have a son. Abraham, prior to the fullness of time, creates his own son. Creates a son of the flesh, not not a son by spirit, not a son by promise. God appears to Abraham again and says, Abraham, Ishmael is probably 13 years old. Abraham, you're going to have a son at the fullness of time. Abraham says, "Uh, I think I already have one of those. God says, well, um, yes, that's not my son though. It hasn't been the fullness of time. And when the fullness of time had come, God gave Abraham the son of promise and everything that came before was put away. Put away and forgotten, actually. Because when God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, to the mountain to sacrifice him, that wasn't his only son in the flesh. However, it was the only son of the appointed time. Ishmael was put away. He says of him, he will have no share in the inheritance of Isaac, the son of promise. Well, the fullness of time came in Christ. There are so many scriptures that say that. I'll quote a few in a few minutes here. But you and I live not in the administration of prophecy, not in the administration of promise, not in the administration of a promised time, a time of waiting, a time of expectation, a time of shadow. We're not under an administration where all of the prophets and the fathers spoke about. We are in the administration of all of that coming to its fullness in Christ. In other words, we are in the great now. The great day of the Lord, the administration of the fullness of time. Hope you can hear what I'm saying. There's this administration of the law, there's administration of the Spirit, there's an administration of Moses, there's an administration of Christ, there's an administration of the old, the first, the shadow, and then there is the administration of the new, the administration of the substance, the administration of the second, the administration where time was fulfilled. In fact, if you look up just in a basic Greek lexicon, which, which is just a fancy word for dictionary. It's one of those words that, you know, you use the word lexicon you sound a little smarter, but it's just Greek dictionary. You, uh, you'll see very interesting things about this passage. First of all, you'll see uh, that the word translated in the, in the uh, New King James or the King James as dispensation is really better translated administration. Because it's not a word that necessarily has to do with time, like the old dispensation was 2,024 years, then the new dispensation is 3,412 years. Before that, there was you know it's not it's not really uh, speaking with reference to time. It's an administration. In other words, more specifically, it's the management or oversight or stewardship of a house. That's what that word means if you look it up. Administration. It's the way things run. An administration. That's the meaning of the word. In one age, the age that came to an end in Christ, there was one way in which God dealt with His house. There was one administration. The way things were run. The way God related to a people. An administration where everything testified of Christ, both in heaven and in earth. It was the way that God dealt with His household. Now we live in the age that was to come. The age that was prophesied about the age that was promised. And in this age, we have come to a new administration. What's that administration? It's the administration of the fullness of time. We've come to a new management, a new stewardship. In other words, things work very differently in this age, in this administration, compared to the other. Here we live in Christ. Here we live in the fullness of time where God has gathered up everything of the first, summed it all up, comprehended it in His Son, and put us in that Son, and put that Son in us who believe. And we'll get to that shortly. But uh, let's look at, I want to look at another word. Uh, I want to look at another word first. And that's the word fullness, the fullness of time. It says, in the fullness of time, the administration of the fullness of time, Galatians 4, I think it's verse 4, says, in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son. What does that word fullness mean? My natural mind, my my natural melon here, immediately thinks of at the nick of time, or uh, just he timed it perfectly. It was just the right the right time, or or uh, whatever. But that's not what it means. Again, you look, you know, what does what that what does that really even mean? If you think about it, the nick of time. We were already dead in trespasses and sins. It, you know, it, like what, in the nick of time. I, I don't know. It just, to me, that doesn't make any, any sense. Especially if you look it up. Again, that word up, you'll see that that word fullness means completion or consummation. Fullness of time means that time has been filled. It has served its purpose. It's full. One, one Greek lexicon says, It is as though there is a container that has been filled to its brim. Another one says, It's something that has been completely filled like a ship filled with freight, merchandise, sailors, oarsmen, and soldiers. Those are just 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 uh, dictionaries, you know, Greek dictionaries. You see, what I'm trying to say is that time, when time had served its purpose, when time had been filled up with everything that there was to testify of this one who would come, then at the fullness of time he came. Can You see what I'm saying there, a little bit? Time, time served one purpose. Time served the purpose to testify of Him who would come at the fullness, at the completion, at the consummation of time. Time was like a container that was filled up with so many prophecies, so many promises, types, shadows, testimonies. It was full. It was overflowing with this testimony and at the fullness. It prepared, it prepared a way for Him to come and then to be understood in His coming. All of this. We'll get to this picture. All of this. This isn't a very good diagram, uh, but incidentally, if you're listening to this, I put this diagram on the in the text and on, on the website, so you can look at it if you want to. Um, I left that out, but uh, the rest of it's in there. Uh, all of that uh, was. It's like a it's like a giant pregnant. It's a time of pregnancy. It's a it's a. It's a time of, 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 of uh, a son being developed in the womb of time, testified to. You know, you know, when a pregnant woman is in labor until until the fullness of time. How do you know when, when the fullness of time has come? Is, is it just whenever it's convenient for the family? You know, is it you know It'd be nice to have the baby before the vacation. You know, or, or, or you know, is it is it the nick of time right? right before the December 31st tax break is over, you know, can you just decide when the fullness of time has come? No, the fullness of time has come when the womb is full and there's nothing more to develop except for the coming forth of the One who was developed. Well, Christ in that way comes at the completion of time. Comes at the fullness of time. And that is really where time ceased to have significance with reference to God. And I'll explain that a little bit, but that is where one day I'm not talking about day like the, you know, you look at your watch and there goes a day. One day becomes the eternal day of the Lord. That is where we've come from time past into the ever-present now of being in Christ. That is where Time was part of this creation of God. It was created in order to establish a testimony of salvation. A testimony of salvation and a people to be saved. And in the fullness, the completion, the consummation of time, all was gathered up, summed up, comprehended in just one Son. I want to try to look at this diagram here. Try to... Try to help. Uh, Jeff actually drew just this little triangle pointing to the cross, and I kind of just, I beefed it up a little bit, filled, filled it up just to try to elaborate on some stuff I was seeing that night. Uh, but uh, you see, uh, the, the purpose of God dealing in time past was to bring forth a real and true testimony, witness. Uh, uh, not a witness in the, well, I should leave that word out. A testimony. Um, uh, of of the Son that would come in the fullness of time. And when time had been filled with this testimony, the Son that was spoken of came. And it is in this one Son that everything is gathered up and becomes a reality for you and I who live in Him, who live by Him. So what this diagram is attempting to, to demonstrate uh, is that God was working through ages past to continually speak more and more clearly, testify more and more accurately of this coming life, of this coming judgment, of this coming new creation, of this coming Son. And just to say this, this diagram is by no means complete, possibly not even very accurate from God's point of view. It's written, I put it up there just to present uh, what I'm trying to say. I mean, there's you could divide this up in so many different ways and fix it and this goes there and oops that should have been. But I'm just trying to make a point here with the diagram. So don't copy it down as like some perfect uh, representation of, of of uh anything. It it it's uh it's I'm just trying to represent uh the testimony coming to completion in him. So God God begins by it's almost like he begins in in big generalities uh and, and then comes kind of closer and closer into this focused more focused uh testimony. He starts with creating the heavens and the earth, the natural heavens and the earth. It's like he it's like he started big and starts to condense and clarify the testimony. The heavens and the earth, which which speak of him in so many ways, you know. There's there's light being separated from darkness, you know. Obviously in that. Uh I mean we we're getting to that very verse right now in Colossians 1 chapter what is that 12? Light, He has translated you out of the, the kingdom of, you know, uh, uh, of darkness, made you to dwell in the Son of His love, qualifies you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the sons of light. You see, all that was spoken of first in a gigantic type and shadow. He separated the light from the darkness. Okay, And, 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 and in that, there is uh, a testimony these big these big generalities so to speak there's chaos there's chaos apart in the, in the world apart from the spirit of god brooding over the waters there's seed reproducing after its own kind there's sun and moon and stars uh, as signs in the heavens that govern the earth Signs, you know, and you can read all about that. There's division between the land and the sea. There's division between the water and the water. There's, you know, and we've we've studied all of that. And I'm not going to get very specific today, only to say that God starts this testimony of what's summed up in this one son, very generally, very big. It's a big, big testimony. And uh, and then God narrows the scope a little bit further. And and now we now we have a man, Adam, and a creation. Uh, of whom he is the, the head. And it's like the, the, the testimony, the scope gets a little bit narrow. Also, everything here testifying of Christ. Jason, how do you know that Adam and his creation testify of Christ? Well, uh, partly because it's obvious, but also because it's all over the New Testament. Romans 5, uh, chapter 14. Adam is a type of him who is to come. Ephesians 5, 25 and following. Adam and Eve are a type of Christ being joined to the bride. I'm not just making it up; it's all over the all over the New Testament. Uh, so my, my, I'm not trying to like argue argue points here or anything. I'm just trying to present present this that that God's kind of narrowing the scope a little bit, and suddenly you have a picture of of a man as a head of a creation, a man having dominion over a creation. Told to be fruitful and multiply his seed in this creation. There again, there again, a picture, a testimony, a testimony of one who is to come, a new man, filling a new creation with a new seed. And and all of that, all of that uh, comes to comes to have uh, fullness in Christ. Now, as we go along, you're going to see that each of these testimony these little divisions here that that I just drew kind of arbitrarily really each of these become uh, uh, summed up or they become real they become actual in Christ each of these things bump into the cross and and are made new in him for instance you know you know the bible doesn't say we all come to Christ and the old is put away and behold we are a, a bunch of christians no behold you are a New creation. You are one new man. You see? It's, not, it's, it's gathering up the testimony, making it a reality, summing it up in Him. If that makes sense. So, it's not just random verbiage on, on Paul's part. Paul is gathering up the things, showing them to be reality in Christ, showing them to be real, eternal, and spiritual in the Son. So each of these sections of the diagram encounters the cross and finds its end. Each of these uh, sections finds its newness, finds its reality in Christ. So, so we have in Christ the new, new heavens and a new earth. And I won't go into that because I don't want to um, crush es- eschatological golden calves this morning. But uh, in Christ we have the first man crucified, We have the soul raised up and seated with Him. And Christ, Paul says, I've been crucified to the whole world. This is the end of Galatians. We've read it before. I've been crucified to the whole world. The whole first creation. It has been crucified to me. So you you see the cross meets all of these uh, sections, puts them away and makes them all new, sums them all up, gathers them all up, and the administration of the fullness of time gathers them all up in Him. And each of these become living encounters with a living Christ who lives in you as your life. Every one of them. Every one of them. So you can go on. You can go along. So you you, 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 you narrow narrow, uh, the, the scope a little bit further. And, uh, and, and, well, I mean, even before we get into that, wh- there's a good picture of um, wh- what happens when Adam and his creation bump into the cross. Well, the type and shadow of is, is, is in the story of Noah. God says, uh, G- uh, Genesis 5.6, 6.5? 5.6, I think. He looks down on the sons of Adam. He looks down on Adam. Sons of man. Man, man is just the English translation of the Hebrew word Adam. Man, God looks down at Adam. And says, "Every intent of the thoughts of his heart is only evil all the time." That's, that's a lot of like superlatives in, in one sentence. And then he says, "I got the solution. We'll patch him up. We'll give him a, we'll give him a boost of, 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 of I don't know. We'll give him no. What does he say? These will all have to face their destruction. And when one man goes into an ark and those with him, and the whole old creation is destroyed, and only that ark is raised up and seated, raised up and seated on on Mount Ararat, out of which a new creation and covenant comes, you see God's dealing with this part of this creation at the cross, and the summing up of that happens... In this judgment, John twelve where Jesus says, Now I am lifted up, and when I am lifted up I will draw all men into myself. For that judgment and for that raising up and seeding of all who will come through that death. But that's you know, we, we can't get too specific with all these or we'll just we'll just that's why I said I almost did it in two weeks, but we'll never ever get through the book of Ephesians if we do, do that. My main point here is to show that He is the fullness of what these times spoke of, and that now they're gathered up in Him. They're comprehended, known and real in Him. In the fullness of time, they were gathered up in Him. So <clears throat> moving on, we get to this lengthy, this lengthy portion of, uh, of the Old Testament scriptures, where you can, you, you can simply not deny that the key issue, the key issue, is seed and a land unto an inheritance. That's the issue at hand. That's the fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Joseph. It's what it's all about. In one way or another, you see what do you see? You see one seed, the seed of Abraham, you see one land casting out the inhabitants, the wicked inhabitants of that land, and you you see an inheritance that is in every way the consequence of the increase of that seed, nothing God promised to Abraham came about without the increase of the seed. Now listen, if I'm losing some of you, I don't. I mean, this this is just. I mean, sometimes you just have to hear things a few times. Just get the CD. I don't mean to be confusing. I'm going over this quickly, and I realize that. But God promised Abraham an inheritance. He promised him a bunch of things, but not a single one of them came to pass apart from the increase of that seed. Everything God, Abraham, you will be great, great name. Bless all the nations of the earth. How did that happen? Through the increase of the seed. Abraham, you will have victory over your enemies. How did that happen? Increase of the seed. Everything God promised had to do with the increase of that seed. That seed which in the type and shadow was Isaac and his offspring in but comes to be Christ and his offspring, those who share his life. Uh, Galatians 3.16 says that explicitly and other verses in Romans. But Anyway, uh, the issue at hand here is is a seed filling up one land, casting out the inhabitants of that land, an inheritance. Y- you can read over that section of the Old Testament as many times as you want and you're going to see the patriarchs with this m- main issue. Here we have God narrowing the focus again. He's brought an end to one kind of a seed, And now he starts to talk about another seed filling up a land. Okay, So, I'm hurrying through this, but let's just move on. Then what? Well, then the issue becomes not a creation, not an old man, not a seed in the land, but now now God starts to deal with Israel, a corporate son. Not many imitating one, but one, but many who are the full expression and the manifestation of the one. The many, the the one who fills the many. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So now God narrows the narrows the scope, and it's not just one increasing in many. Now it's the many as the manifestation of the one. And God deals with Israel along these lines, a corporate expression of God's son, relating to him as priest and as king. How 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 does How is this manifested? Well, man, through through the sacrifices, the offerings, the priesthood, the blood, the law, the festivals, the victories, the the, the deliverances, the judgments, the kingdoms. You know all of that. And we can't get into all of that right now. But this is really the time of, of Moses through the kings. God deals in this particular view of a corporate son. A corporate son who then comes to be Christ in you. Comes to be the body of Christ. A many-membered body sharing—excuse me—sharing one life. And once again, this which was testified to, gathered up, summed up in Him. First, the old put away, and then, behold, I make all things new. Not—not not new in the sense that they're totally different than this, but new in that they are all the fulfillment of this. They come from material, natural. Carnal to spiritual, eternal, everlasting in Christ. So, uh, I'm tripping over the cord here. So you have, uh, you know, and I, and I, you could, you could so easily divide, uh, you could divide that one section into smaller sections. I could have taken the marker here and cut this into three sections and talked about death, heaven, and earth. In other words, you see first that group in in Egypt going into death, the death of the Lamb. Then you see them in the tabernacle uh, raised up with the high priest and brought into the Father's house. This is the order of it. It doesn't go death, kingdom, priesthood. It goes death, priesthood, kingdom. He never mentions the kingdom in the priesthood. Why? Because first, those who have died with Him must see themselves raised with Him before there's ever a manifestation of Him in the earth. So it's, Death, priesthood, and then God deals with the kingdom. Don't hear a lot about the priesthood when He's dealing with the kingdom. Don't hear a lot about the kingdom when He's dealing with the priesthood. Because there's an order to this thing. And where is it all coming? Well, it's coming to Christ where first you die with Him. When one died, all died. I've been crucified with Christ. And then what? Then Ephesians one and two. Colossians three. Then you're raised up and seated with him. Then in the bosom of the high priest you go into the Father's house, John fourteen. And then there's a manifestation in the earth of the heavens through a body that has their citizenship where they have been raised. You see, it's itself but see my point isn't to just divide it all up in a million little things to confuse you. My point is simply just to say that each of these are Summed up in, gathered up in Him. Gathered up in Christ. That's what I'm talking about our verse here. Talking about our verse here. So, um, then you have God dealing with a corporate son in judgment and refining because of forsaking the covenant. That happens through the Assyrian destruction uh, of, of the northern ten tribes, which at that time were called Israel, uh, by, by Assyria around 620 uh, BC. And then the Babylonian, uh, captivity, which happened, in, uh, well, finally, the, 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 the rubber hit the road or the pedal hit the, whatever. It got really bad in, uh, 586, uh, BC. And, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, takes the, the remaining two tribes that weren't destroyed by the Assyrians, uh, Judah, Benjamin, who collectively were called Judah, uh, into captivity. And you see, uh, then out of that you see this restoration unto a new Jerusalem, a restoration unto a new a new temple in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I won't go into all that. Here's my point. Here's my point. God filled time past. God consummated the ages. God completed the times as if He were forming in this womb, as if He was developing in a womb uh, the uh, the womb of the natural world, the womb womb of the first creation, a son that would come forth. And each of these, these types and shadows and promises and prophecies are gathered up. Thousands and thousands and thousands of types and testimonies gathered up and finding their end and finding their newness in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the lens of God's heart, it's almost like it's, it's getting more and more focused, more and more magnified, like a zoom lens on a camera or something, more and more magnified, more and more condensed until everything that God has forever foreknown and forever seen and forever predestined, you know, it's like the zoom, here goes the lens, it's zooming in and zooming in and then you see it all in one man and one son gathered up and the one who came "...in the fullness of time and brings us into the administration of His house." The administra- This is what Hebrews 3 is all about. But the administration of His house versus the administration of the house of Moses. Hebrews 3, you can check that out on your own time. But uh, the administration of the fullness of time. So, see, in God's view, He had this one Son in view before the foundation of the world. He had a people... You know, this is what Ephesians 1. We already went through this. Ephesians 1 in the beginning... Before the foundation of the world God saw, God predestined, God planned a people living in that son, living by that son, being filled with that son, becoming the increase of that son in his heart before he ever made a single blade of grass. That's what God had in his heart. And that's again, that's the first part of this chapter book that we're looking at. He saw the one in whom would be the new heavens and the new earth. He saw the one in whom would be the, the head over a new creation. He saw the one whose seed would fill a land and bring an inheritance as a firstborn from among the dead. I'm just quoting from a bunch of scriptures here. I don't have time to go through them all, but he saw the one in whom he would have a corporate son, the body of Christ. He saw the one who would be uh, as a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. He saw the one who would restore his people to the true heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come. You have come. Not you are going to one day when you die come. You have come. You have come. Hebrews 12. He saw it all. He saw it all in this, that, that, that one, the one in whom there would be this, this corporate, soul, this, this sun, this, this heavenly Jerusalem, this temple built without human hands. He saw it all before he made a single thing. He used time, he used a creation. He used the time with this demonstration of what was in his heart, hidden in his heart. Paul talks about the mystery, two different places being hidden in the heart of God before the creation of the world. And then in the fullness of time, when time had been filled up, when it was time to give birth, suddenly, bursting forth in labor, God brings forth out of death. First He puts it all into the tomb of death and then brings it all out, bursting, opening the womb of death, opening the womb of the earth, establishing what Jacob saw in Genesis chapter something or other, the latter out of one realm into another out of the earth into the heavens. There it is, the Son of Man as the way out and the way in. There it is, at the fullness of time. So, He gathers up the testimony in the heavens and in the earth, that which displayed Him in the natural heavens and the natural earth, all the light and the dark and the sun, the moon, the stars, that that which testified to Him in the testimony of the heavens and the testimony of the earth, you know, he gathered up that which was revealed about the heavens, like in the holy of holies and the glory cloud and the pillar of fire and the temple that was God's dwelling place. All that spoke of the heavens in Old Covenant Israel, God's revelation of the heavens, he gathered it all up and summed it up in Christ. In fact, you look at that word. Um, uh, this, this one, I don't mean to get all Greek on you this morning or anything, uh, but but if you look at the word gathered up or summed up in. in uh In a a lexicon, you'll see that one of the definitions there is the word comprehended. I like that. I like that word comprehended. Because it's like God had forever already comprehended all of this reality in His Son. He displays it in the natural heavens and earth and then He gathers it all back up into the Son where He had comprehended it in the first place. Can you see that? It wasn't wasn't comprehended by Moses as being in Christ. It wasn't comprehended by Joshua in Christ, but it was always comprehended by God as being fulfilled and made real in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where that's where salvation has brought us in Christ. That's why the whole New Testament is replete with sentences like in Him you have redemption. In Him you have this. In Him all the blessings promised to Abraham are yours. In Him all the promises are yes and amen. Because it is in Him in the fullness of time in the administration of the fullness the birth, the end of, of all the time spoke of it is in Him that all of this becomes real, experiential, fulfilled and, 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 and Substance. Substance in him. Galatians four four. In the fullness when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And it's in that son that Paul tells us that we live in this book of Ephesians. He's already told us it eight times. He will go on to tell us, I forget the count. One time I counted through the book of Ephesians, it's a whole lot more than eight. He's going to go on to tell us over and over again all of the realities and ramifications of living in that Son. It's in that Son. Paul tells us we are comprehended by God. It is in that Son. Paul tells us in Galatians, we are known of God in that Son. It is in the administration of that Son's house, over against the administration of the former house, that we have come to the fullness of time. So where does that leave us now in Christ with regard to time? Well, Look, I'm not going to tell you that time stopped on Earth. I'm not. I'm not ignorant to the fact that it is 11:56. Okay, uh, I will tell you, the, however, that in Christ time has no relevance. In the administration of the fullness of time, we have come to the great now, the great now of being in Christ, where everything is the same—yesterday, today, and forever. The only thing that changes over time with us is our comprehension, awareness, revealing, understanding, expression, experience, and manifestation of what we have come to in Christ. Ephesians 1 or 2.12, God is trying to show us by His Spirit the things that have been freely given to us in Christ. The only thing that changes over time is God's continual drawing and unveiling of the things that we have in the fullness of times. I know that bodies grow old, hairs turn gray, buildings get go- torn down, gums develop gingivitis, whatever. Everything, however, in Christ is eternally fixed, secured, incorruptible, constant, perpetual, ceaseless, unbroken, kept where it has always been in the heart of God where he has now raised you and seated you in the heavens so in a very real sense in Christ we have come to an ending of time at least an ending of time in relevance to life and godliness we've come to the great sabbath rest the day of the Lord and if I had time I would go through a list of scriptures. There's a bunch of them. I'll just read one. But Hebrews 3 and 4. Uh, but I'll just read 2 Corinthians 6. 2. For he says, and he quotes the Old Testament here, In an acceptable time I heard you, and in, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Then Paul says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. The great now that we have come to in Christ. But now in Christ. At the, 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 the administration of the fullness of time, He gathered together in Him all of this where we have been placed, where we have been seated. Okay, amen. We'll stop there. We're out of time. We're out of time.